<clears throat> uh, you've probably um, all heard the saying, uh, between a rock and a hard place. And uh, you've probably all um, been there on a couple of occasions. Uh, it just means being caught in a situation where no option is desirable. You know, you're really stuck, uh, having to make an uncomfortable um, decision. So um, just for some examples, um, let's say uh, you're uh, going bald, and um, you know, what do you do? Do you shave the lot off, or do you um, go for the, you know, the stylish comb over? You know, you're stuck, stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. Um, or maybe you're, you're in a job that you just can't stand, and yet you're so deep in debt that there's just no way you can um, do anything about that. So you're stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. Um, you know, everyone does find themselves in that position on more than one occasion in life, which is why we have the saying, which is why you all know exactly what it means. Uh, but but get, getting caught between a rock and a hard place, that's actually the theme of these three chapters um, in 1 Samuel. Because you have both David and Saul caught in, you know, in a massive dilemma, really a dilemma of um, their own making. And so we actually have to ask, um, what can you learn between a rock and a hard place? And what can we learn about facing our own dilemmas from um, this passage? Uh, so let's, let's look at it. First, um, there's, well, there's three, three parts to it, three chapters. Um, but first we learn that God's people do face dilemmas and sometimes of their own making. That's what we see in David in chapter 27. Uh, David, remember, he's been on the run from King Saul. That's ever since chapter 18. He's been hunted by Saul. He could never rest. He had to always be looking over his shoulder. And uh, so far, we've seen how God has protected David in some incredible ways. All the way through, David has, has not wavered. He stayed committed to the fact that God has promised him the kingdom. And David has never taken matters into his own hands, even though he's had opportunities to get rid of Saul, his enemy. He refused to do it. He trusted in the Lord. He waited on God and, and, and left it in God's hands for the timing of receiving the kingdom. And then we come to chapter 27, and it begins with David having this little chat with himself. Um, you know, it says he speaks to his own heart. And uh, notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, so there's really nothing better for me to do than to run off to Philistia and um, hide from Saul there. Uh, now, this is not the first time David has done this. This happened um, earlier on, where David tried to hide from Saul in um, Philistine territory and, and he had to pretend to be a madman and all of that. Uh, so that didn't work too well. Um, but here he is doing it again. But what he says in verse 1 is actually a little bit confusing because he says, I shall perish by the hand of Saul if I stick around in Israelite territory. And the reason that's confusing is because if you just go back one chapter earlier to chapter 26, verse 10, uh, there David made this, uh, it's almost like a famous statement of faith where uh, one of his men you know, wanted to kill Saul and David said, no, don't do it. Why? Well, because of God's promise. Uh, he said that you know, the Lord uh, will... Um, you know, kill Saul. Uh, Saul will perish at the hand of the Lord. And yet when you get to chapter 27, verse 1, David's now saying, I'm the one who's going to perish at the hand of Saul. 
which gets you wondering, is David wavering at this point? You know, has, has all of this running and all of this, these sleepless nights, looking over his shoulder, has all that started to take a toll? That he's not coping too well and, and maybe starting to waver in his faith? Well, the writer doesn't tell us. He just tells us what David said. And we've got to kind of put that up, you know, in the corner of our mind and, and keep that in mind as we continue to follow the story. Okay, it is a, an important fact. Okay, so David and his 600 men, they go to Philistine territory. Uh, they go to um, Achish, uh, king of Gath. Uh, that's from, for refuge from Saul. And you've got to ask the question, why would Achish receive David? I mean, that's, that's a little bit weird. But if you think about it, what Achish is, is seeing, he sees, wow, look at this, 600 mercenaries that are expendable. I can make good use of these fellows. And so he welcomes David. Uh, he thinks, well, we'll see what we can do with them. And uh, according to verse 4, David's plan does work. This is the last time Saul ever um, seeks after David. Uh, so it seems to be working. Uh, now, while David is in Philistine territory, he comes up with that very cunning plan uh, that he goes out on raids against Israel's enemies. Okay, but when he comes back home with all of the spoils of war to share them with Achish, he, he tells that little, um, uh, you know, a bit of a lie, saying that these actually came from the enemies of, uh, well, from Israel, uh, pesky Israelites. We, we sorted out some pesky Israelites and uh, hear all the spoils from it. And, um, you know, David made sure no one escaped those raids so that no one would blow his cover. And Achish is led to believe that David is a good guy, that he really can be trusted, that he really has turned his back on Israel. And so Achish puts his trust in David. Uh, and, and, you know, like we've seen all the way through um, 1 Samuel, people tend to um, kind of fall in love with David. Uh, it's just the way he is. Anyway, uh, I'm guessing some of you at that point, though, like me, are thinking, hang on a minute, was David right to do that, you know, to do all that killing, and then now this deception with Achish, that, you know, is that really the sort of behaviour that you'd expect uh, from a man after God's own heart? And again, the writer doesn't comment, just sort of leaves it hanging, and we've got to, again, keep it in our minds as we follow the story. But what the writer does want us to see from this episode, it comes down in chapter 28, verses 1 to 2. Because here we see that for all of David's cunning and for all of his deception and you know, for all of his planning of thinking that going to Philistia will, will keep him safe and make his life easier, what we actually end up seeing is that it brought far more trouble on David uh, than, than if he had stayed in Israel, uh, Israelite territory. There's more problems than solutions. It actually got him into a major dilemma because now Achish trusts David so much that when verse 1 says that the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel, Achish insists that David join him in the battle. Okay, he knows David's a great warrior and he thinks that if he has David, that's going to you know, make them a more powerful um, force against Israel. Now that, of course, puts David in a terrible bind. It's almost like his cover is about to be blown uh, because, you know, on the one hand, David can't fight against Israel. They are, after all, his own people. He has not deserted them. 
Um, and in fact, what happens if David has to face off with Saul in the battle? Now, we've seen all the way through, David refuses to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed, so he's not going to do that. And then imagine if Israel see David fighting against them, what's that going to do for David's future kingship? They're not going to accept him as, a, as their king if they see that he's against them. And so he, that's not an option. He cannot fight against Israel with the Philistines. Um, but neither is the option of, of turning away from the Philistines, you know, running away from them or, or even turning against them. That's not an option either because he's in the middle of this enormous army. Okay, that would be a death sentence. He, he would not escape that. And so talk about between a rock and a hard place. No matter what he does, he's stuck. How will he get out of this mess? Uh, and, and when Achish actually says to him, you're going to um, go out with me in the army, notice how David says in verse 2 of chapter 28, uh, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Uh, what did David mean by that? I don't think David himself even knew. It's such, such a vague answer. You'll see what I can do. Anyway, so the point of this chapter, chapter 27, is that David, through a series of what seemed like reasonable decisions at the time, uh, he has brought down a whole lot of trouble on himself. David has got himself into this bind. And uh, maybe it was because he was driven by fear rather than faith. Remember, we asked that question. Uh, maybe the, uh, you know, the, the constant having to look over his shoulder, maybe that, that got the better of him. It started to take a toll. But either way, David has got himself into this dilemma. And do you know what the application for us of this chapter is? Okay, this might sound a little bit dull, but here it is. Can you relate to David? I wonder if you can relate to David. And what I mean by that is I wonder if you've ever made some decisions in your life that seemed like a good idea at the time, and yet they have got you into trouble. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, have you ever been, well, maybe you made some decisions at a point in your life when you are under enormous pressure and they weren't that great decisions. And as a result, you've got to live with the consequences and it feels now that you're in this bind where, you know, no matter what you do to try to get out of it, it's not going to be pleasant. I wonder if you can relate to David. Now, it could be that perhaps you've found yourself um, stuck in an unsatisfying career with a difficult boss or, or difficult employees uh, and it just doesn't seem like there's any way out. Or maybe you've uh, entered into an investment that seemed like a good idea at the time and you've lost a heap and now you're in a position of financial difficulty. Or maybe you're in a difficult marriage. Or maybe you've, uh, in a, you're facing a fractured friendship and it seems like no matter what you say or do, it just doesn't seem to be a way to fix it. See, I wonder if you, have, if you even now are facing a situation in your life where it looks like there's no way to resolve it. See, I wonder if you can relate to David. Do you see how wonderful this passage is? This passage actually speaks to us in those kind of scenarios. Okay, when you're between a rock and a hard place, God has stuff to say to us. That's what we have in this passage. And so what, is, what does God have to say to us in those times? 
Well, we need to read on and find out because uh, the rest of the, these, um, these uh, two chapters, God actually speaks to us. Okay, when you're between a rock and a hard place, what does he say? Well, the first thing he has to say, it almost seems like an interruption in the passage because we're in the middle of learning about David's dilemma and we're, we're dying to know how's he going to get out of it, how's God going to rescue him. And the writer inserts, or he kind of like slaps this story of, about Saul. And it's one of the weirdest stories in the whole Bible uh, about Saul and this uh, medium. And it seems like a big interruption. And yet we realise, hang on, there's a theme, a related theme. It's the theme of being in a dilemma. See, David was in a dilemma of his own making. Well, guess what? Saul is too. And that's described for us in chapter 28, verses 3 to 25. Uh, So here we have uh, what's Saul's dilemma. Well, at first it seems like he's, he's facing a massive Philistine onslaught. And he's the king of Israel, so he's responsible to lead the, the Israelites into battle, uh, which he does. He assembles all Israel for battle. And uh, verse 5 says that when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. You know, what a dilemma. But no, no, that's not the dilemma. The dilemma for Saul is what, ha- what is stated in verse 6. Because in verse 6 it says, When Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him. Okay, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. See, if Saul ever needed the Lord, this was the time. He needed to know what to do. He needed the Lord's help. And yet when he inquired, what did he receive? Silence. So how's he going to defeat the Philistines? How's he going to get out of this bind? So what does he do? Well, he clearly wishes Samuel was still around, doesn't he? But Samuel, we know, has uh, long died. Uh, It says that in verse 3. And Saul kind of wishes Samuel was here because, you know, Samuel was a prophet. Uh, So what does he do? He's absolutely desperate. So he goes and consults a medium. Now, what's a medium? A medium is just someone who consults the dead. Um, Previously in verse 3, we learned that Saul had gotten rid of all the mediums out of the land. Uh, for good reason, uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse um, 9 to 14, it um, forbid that sort of thing for the Israelites. And the reason given there, uh, the Israelites were not to rely on words from the dead um, or, you know, words from the other side in that sense. Why? Because God would raise up a prophet who would speak the word of God. That's who you're to listen to. Don't go looking for, a, a, you know, a secret word from um, the grave What are you going to learn there when you've got the word of God? See, that's the reason why um, don't consult a medium. Anyway, Saul, he has no word from God. And so somehow he finds a medium. You know, he says, go and get one. And they seem to know where one is. Uh, Don't know why that happened. But anyway, Saul disguises himself. He goes to this medium to get an answer from the other side about what to do in the battle. And at Saul's request, the medium calls up Samuel from the dead. And I know for many of you that that's going to raise all kinds of questions. You know, what is going on? How can this happen? Is this really Samuel? Is this trickery or is this the real thing? Uh, What are the implications for today? And do you know what? The passage says nothing about any of that. Maybe because 
We're not supposed to even want to know why. It's, you know, it's forbidden according to um, God's law. Uh, but this passage, it just presents what happened. And what happened? Samuel really was brought up from the dead. That's what the passage says. Uh, which means that God must have permitted this, must have permitted this to happen through this medium, even though it's a practice that he condemns. And that's about as much as we can say uh, from that. Uh, but anyway, Saul, he gets his message from Samuel, and do you know what the message is? Exactly what he's already heard. He's heard it all before. And listen to what the message is in verse 16. In verse 16, uh, Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? What a tragic message. Uh, why, why does Samuel say that? Well, he goes on to explain in verse 18 that it's because of persistent and unrepentant disobedience that the Lord has turned away from Saul. And did you hear that? Become Saul's enemy. Imagine that. God is your enemy. What could be, what could be worse? And, I mean, the, the only new thing that Saul gets to hear is the timing of his death, that it's actually going to be this particular battle that he's facing. And so, you know, Saul is told he's going to die. He's going to die separated from God. He's going to die completely lost for all of eternity. That's the message from Samuel. The message from Samuel is a hopeless message. There is no hope for this man who has persistently and disobeyed without any repentance. There is no hope for him. He receives absolute rejection from the Lord. And it really is confronting when you think about it. Because it kind of looks like Saul is seeking the Lord. Now, he's inquiring of God and it looks like God's got you know, his back turned and arms folded. I'm not listening to you. That's not how it is though. Because we've seen over and over in 1 Samuel that Saul never truly sought after God. You know, we've seen that Saul, he often wanted God's favour, but he did not want God's presence. Okay, he wanted a relationship with God on his terms, not on God's terms. We've seen that over and over. That Saul was a man who was characterised by unrepentance. You know, he would not turn from his sin, refused to. He never truly sought after the Lord in humility. He wanted rescue from God, but he never wanted restoration with God. And so Saul is someone who is among God's people, who is right on the doorstep of the kingdom, and yet he is forever shut out because of his own rebellion, his own refusal to repent. And that is such a sobering picture. And don't, don't you feel like this tremendous sorrow when you see this picture of Saul? Uh, which verse is it? Is uh, verse 20, then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear. You know, no strength. He's basically just lying on the ground moaning. That's all he can do. For all eternity, mind you. 
It's lying there moaning. There's no hope for this fellow. He is cut off forever. It's such a sobering picture. And eventually the, the woman uh, and um, Saul's companions, they, they persuade him to get up and eat a meal. Uh, the, the woman says, I'll, um, you know, I'll get, get you a morsel of bread. Uh, she ends up cooking a whole cow. Um, but this is Saul's last meal before death. So for Saul, this is his last supper. And the chapter ends by saying, then they rose and went away that night. Now, do you know what that reminds me of? Receiving the morsel, going out and it's night. Do you know what that reminds me of? John 13, verse 30, uh, which talks about another Last Supper. And uh, there you have um, Judas, uh, where it says in John 13, 30, that after receiving the morsel of bread, it's the same um, language as uh, here, he immediately went out and it was night. And we know in John's Gospel that, that night, uh, darkness, light, that these are concepts that John uses to always have that double meaning, that darkness refers to being lost. It means being rejected. Uh, it means being completely separated from God. And so when Judas took that morsel to betray Jesus and went out into the night, that's a, that's a way of saying that Judas was lost forever. He was in outer darkness and that he would be like that forever. It's a very scary verse. And, and it's the same for Saul. Okay, for, for Judas, for Saul, there was no hope for them. They're shut out forever because they've rejected the only light that there is, the only hope of salvation which is found in the Lord himself. Now the question, the big question here is, why has the writer put this very sobering story about Saul right in the middle of telling us about David's dilemma? Why does he do that? And I'll tell you why. It's to show us that whatever dilemma David was in, it was nothing compared to the dilemma that Saul was in. Okay, David has brought all this trouble upon himself. Okay, but it is nothing compared to the trouble that Saul has brought upon himself. And so do you see the message for us here? Do you see how this puts life into perspective? Okay, we face some big dilemmas in life. You know, we do face those times where no matter what we do, it's just a disaster. But do you realise that there's nothing you can face in life that's anything like this, anything like being shut out from the presence of God for all of eternity? Now, this account of Saul, it is actually a warning to us of what happens if we are persistent in our disobedience, if we refuse to turn to the Lord, if we refuse to, to turn from our sin and turn to Christ for, as Saviour. It, it's a warning because it shows us that it's actually possible to be amongst the people of God, to even be a member of a church, to be right on that doorstep of the kingdom and yet never actually enter. It is possible. You know, if we're like Saul, if we're like Judas, if we're wanting, you know, we want all of the, the, the blessings of God, we want his favour, but we don't want him, we don't want his presence, we don't want him telling us how to live our lives, we don't want him uh, interfering in our 
business. If we're like that, if we don't repent, then we too are facing that very same dilemma that Saul faced. See, to be cut off from the Lord, to have his welcoming call taken away for all of eternity, there is nothing worse, nothing more serious. And if that's speaking to you today, okay, do, do you understand your position before God? But I have something to say to you. There is actually hope for you. Okay, there is hope today. Because you can actually turn. You can leave your sin. You can actually embrace the Saviour who is the king who did obey perfectly and he's the king that on the cross was cast out into outer darkness for you so that you can actually have the light of God's presence for all of eternity. See, that's your hope. That's your only hope of being right with God. So you must repent and receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. But look, for those who have embraced Christ, you know, for those who, who have bowed the knee to King Jesus, who, who know that he is the saviour, who will, will keep them forever. Do you, do you see how this is talking to us about the dilemmas we face in life? That no matter what we go through, we always have access. Okay? Unlike Saul, we always have access to the one who rules heaven and earth, the one who, who actually can change things, the one who is sovereign. We have, always have access to him. Uh, we can always say, you know, even though I am stuck between a rock and a hard place, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, that's what David could say. If we're in Christ, that's what we can say too. And then that actually brings us back to the story of David. Okay, how, does, how is all this resolved? Uh, remember, the Philistines are gathering their forces uh, we're told that the um, the big brass, the um, you know the lords of the Philistines, uh, this is the you know the generals, the kings, um, they're there watching the whole Philistine army gather together, all these divisions and contingents and things. And as they're looking at everyone, they see the um, the contingent of Gath, and right at the end is David and his men, and and the, the lords of the Philistines, they just stop the whole thing. And they go up to Achish and they confront him and they go, what on earth is this? David, why is he here? And uh, Achish, um, he defends David. No, no, David's a good guy. He's on our side. You know, he's, he's proved trustworthy over all these years. And uh, the, the lords of the Philistines, they get so angry and they remind Achish who David is. They even quote lines. Remember that, that number one hit? that you couldn't get out of your head once you hear those, that chorus. Um, Saul has struck down his thousands, David his tens of thousands. They remind Achish of that song. And so under no circumstances is David to fight with the Philistines. Uh, they will, they're sure that David will turn on them. So Achish, he loses the vote. Verse 6, he has to go and tell David, I'm sorry, but you have to go home. And um, David... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can imagine how um, relieved David would be. Okay, he's got himself into this bind. Now he's been set free. It's almost like a go-out-of-jail-free card. Um, and he, he actually keeps up that pretense, though. You know, he, he says, oh, this is not fair. You know, why, 
I wanted to fight against Israel. Um, but he's just um, keeping up that pretense. He doesn't want anyone to suspect anything. Uh, Achish, you know how naive he is? <laughs> Verse 9, it's actually um, quite amusing. He said to David, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Um, he is very deceived. Uh, nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, you shall not go with us into battle. Anyway, so David, you can just imagine the relief David must have had. Being able to go home, no one on his back, no one out to get him. It's a free pass. He's saved. Saved out of that dilemma that he actually got himself into. Now, I know I've said this before in this 1 Samuel series, but I'm going to say it again. If we didn't know any better, we would say, wow, what a lucky escape. And yet we do know better. We know that there's no such thing as um, chance or luck or any of that. We know that it's always the hand of God working out his purposes. We know that you know, in all things, God works together, all things, for the good of those who love him. And we know that that's what's going on here for David. And so with that in mind, we, we can actually see the way that God's deliverance has come, even into our lives, uh, the way that God's deliverances often come. And what do we see here? It's very quiet. Okay, it's very ironic even. Uh, notice how quiet this is. How, how, you know, God's deliverance, so quiet in that how did God deliver David? Did, did the Red Sea open up and David escape from the Philistines? No. Did an angel of heaven come down and, and, and destroy the Philistine army so David could walk free? No. None of that. Instead, God, as it says in Proverbs, turned the hearts of the king like a watercourse. And they made the decision, set David free, and yet we know God's hand was in it all. God rescued David, and that's what I mean by God often does it in very ironic ways. He uses the very enemies of David as his saviors. Now, don't misunderstand this. In terms of applying this today, it's not saying that you know, this is a guaranteed promise that whatever mess you get yourself in, don't worry, God will get you out. It's not saying that, but what it is telling us is that God has more than one way to turn the troubles that we get into in life around. He has many ways to do that, often very quiet ways, sometimes ironic ways. Uh, God has many ways. He works in ways usually that we would never anticipate, ways that we would never expect. Um, there's a song that we sometimes sing about this uh, that says, um, deep, in unfathomable, sorry, deep in unfathomable minds, we sing that, um, of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Now, a translation would be, God has a million or a billion different ways of turning your biggest dilemmas and your greatest nightmares into something good. Okay, he has a, a deep, unfathomable mind <laughs> um, to do that. And he actually promises to do that for all who are his. He actually promises to do that. That's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. And, you know, as you get on in life, um, you know, I'm in my um, 40s now, and um, as you get on, you can actually start to look back and you can start to trace 
something of God's quiet workings in your life where you look at those times where you can remember, yeah, I remember that. That's when I actually thought there was no hope of that ever resolving. And yet you look back and go, wow, look what God did. But you know the greatest thing that you can look back on? To see the way that God turned and, and changed things, not just, not just to make your life easy and comfortable, but better to bring you into a closer relationship with him. In fact, when we remember that David was the one who got himself into all the mess in Philistia, when we remember that it most likely was because of fear, uh, not faith, driving David's decisions, uh, when we recognise that, we actually realise that God's rescue of him in this way, it's just another, another demonstration of the mercy that followed David all of his life. Remember how he said in that psalm that I read at the start, um, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now we see what David was referring to, the kinds of things he was referring to. And do you realise that's actually the confidence that all of God's people can have? Surely God's goodness and mercy will follow me all the days, you know, even into those dilemmas that I bring about, you know, through my own stupid decisions. Even into those places, God's mercy will follow. Okay, he won't leave you alone in those things. Uh, you know, and what is the assurance that God's mercy will follow you everywhere? What is the assurance? It's the gospel, okay, that, that God actually sent his own son to take on your sin. And, and in, in Mark's gospel where it says, when darkness came over the land, you know, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus took that in your place so that God can now say to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's why you can be so confident that even in your dilemmas, God's mercy will follow you into there. He will never forsake you. And one day, he will actually deliver you from all of them. Okay, and when will that happen? It will happen on the day when Christ comes again. And on that day when you will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Isn't that how David ended that psalm? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that's something that Saul knew nothing of. And that is so sobering. And yet for all who are in Christ, as David was in Christ, that is the assurance. Do you have that assurance today? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for this wonderful um, story. It's just so, so engaging. Uh, we, we love to see the twists and turns of the way that you worked uh, through the lives of your people. And Father, we recognise again that it's, it's always your mercy that brings your people safely through. And we're so thankful that you are like that, Lord, that you're not a God who is uh, angry and condemning and, and only wants to punish, but we thank you that you are a God of love, a God who has sent your only Son, and even willing to forsake him on the cross so that we would never be forsaken. And Father, we thank you that we can rest in Christ and so that when we're in um, our own dilemmas, 
even if they're dilemmas of our own making. And we have this assurance that, that we can seek you and find you and that, uh, you might, and that you promise to turn those things into good, uh, not just to make our lives easy, but actually to make us more into the likeness of Jesus. So help us to hang on to that hope, and we pray that as a result that we would be able to uh, endure all things with patience and in faithfulness to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>